uh, episode 541. I had a dream last night that I did this episode and I got your name wrong. So I looked it up in a panic when I woke up and I was like, Dr. William J. Federer. And I've been saying it to myself all day, like an OCD tick. But you were the author of Socialism from Plato to the Present, How the Deep State Consult capitalizes on crises to consolidate control you've been on here twice already my buddy don the pleb when he gets his act together is going to have you on because uh he rarely i normally try to get my guests on him and he reached out to me and asked if if i could get you to go on his but um you're brilliant yeah me too <laughs> yeah i know right I, I just he's a bum don get your act together you're a brilliant individual and um it's you know there's different levels of feedback i get from i get about guests most people just watch the video. Some people might like it. An even fewer amount will comment. And it's a it's a rarity that I get like a text that someone went out of their way to text me and say, I really like that guy. And you are in that elite club of about 10 guests out of 500 that people actually, they're like, hey, this is a really, really well-spoken guy, really re- well-rounded guy. And because of that, I have to keep having you on, but clearly I'm, I like the sound of my own voice, so I'm gonna keep talking. Because I have you for a limited amount of time, which is entirely my own fault because I was late, let's just jump into it. How do you see the use of of vaccine passports, of show me your papers? Is just is this another pushing of our society, as you so eloquently stated? It's the it's the the ratchet that gets tighter every time you twist it, and you can't undo it. But how how do you view that in the what seems to be a relentless march towards Marxism? Yeah, Ronald Reagan, nineteen sixties, he was the governor of California and he was the head of the Screen Actors Guild and the American Medical Association had him do a campaign to warn the country against socialized medicine. And Reagan said it's easy to disguise health a healthcare crisis uh, as a way to institute statism or socialism. So it's it's a concept called seizing the moral high ground, and they want to appear like they care more about people's health than you do. Therefore, you have to give up all your freedoms to them. Uh, casinos do this. So if a casino comes into town, the people that are against casinos will cite all the statistics of crime going up. But if the casino can give some money to schools, they can seize the moral high ground. They can say, we care about the children. And if you care about the children, you will vote to expand casinos. And if you don't vote to expand casinos, you must hate the children. And so do they really care about kids? Uh, I think they, they care about the bottom line. Um, so that's what is being used here is they're saying you care about people's health you have to surrender all your freedoms and embrace our way of dealing with people's health forget the fact that there are credible doctors saying that there are alternative ways of treating covid whether it's hydroxychloroquine zinc azithromycin ivermectin uh, forget all that it has to be our way and uh, the dangers of the vaccines, well, we're not going to talk about that. The number of people that have died from the vet, we're not going to talk about that. You, We've seized the moral high ground. We claim that we care more about, about people's health than you do. 
Therefore, you have to instantly fold and cave and give up your your mind, your freedom, your your common sense, your thinking, and just embrace this. Uh, it's also happened in areas of minorities. So prior to Lyndon Johnson, the majority of blacks were Republicans. Uh, Booker T. Washington, the first black man to have dinner in the White House, was a guest of Republican President Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, you had Frederick Douglass, the great orator and speaker. He was an advisor to Abraham Lincoln. And he said, I am a Republican, you know, died in the wool. And uh, you had, uh, so, so what happened? And you had Democrat Woodrow Wilson segregate the military, separating whites and blacks. There was a case that uh, Woodrow Wilson drew upon called Plessy versus Ferguson where there was the uh, equal but separate. So there were train cars and they had the black train cars and they say, well, they're up there equal. You just have your own and we have our own. Uh, and that basically was their excuse to treat blacks with less respect and less rights. And it was Democrat President Woodrow Wilson that decided to take that case and apply it to all federal offices and segregate the Department of Treasury, the post office, uh, uh, one after the other. And then it was Republican Eisenhower that integrated the military and had the troops fight together. And it was Republican Eisenhower that sent the federal troops to the South to force Democrat George Wallace of Alabama, who stood in front of the school and said, we're not gonna let black students in. And Martin Luther King Jr. was a Republican. And he condemned Democrat governor George Wallace in his I have a dream speech, right? Where he says, I have a dream that someday little black boys and little black girls will join hands and walk together as sisters and brothers. Well, right before that, he says, I have a dream that in Alabama, where that uh, racist governor uh, whose lips are dripping with racism, uh, that even in Alabama. So what's he talking about this governor? Democrat governor George Wallace. So here, uh, even it was Martin Luther King Jr. condemning Democrats for their policy. So there was Democrat Robert Byrd, uh, Al Gore Sr., um, Strom Thurmond, and they filibustered a civil rights bill for weeks upon weeks. And uh, it's interesting that Senator Byrd acknowledged that he was a KKK member. He says, you could not advance in the Democrat party unless you were a member of the KKK. It's, it's bizarre how they can try to malign conservative Republicans with that label. When the, here you have this Democrat Senator saying, you could not advance in the Democrat party unless you were a member of the KKK. And Hillary Clinton spoke at the funeral for a bird, Senator Byrd and said, he was my mentor and he was the heart and soul of the Senate. It's like, how, how can she get a pass for endorsing this uh, pro-KKK uh, Senator? And then Lyndon Johnson. So he voted against the anti-lynching bill. There was a bill to stop lynchings and LBJ voted against it. And then there was another bill that uh, said that if a white man was accused of a crime, 
uh, doing the crime against a black man, that the trial would have an all-white jury. And it was Richard Nixon, the vice president, that cast the vote to nix that and said, no, we're not going to support having an all-white jury. He's a Republican. Nixon was a Republican. And then you had uh, LBJ realizing that it didn't look good for the Democrat Party to have the Democrat South hosing down blacks on the street with their children's you know, crusade protest and sicking dogs on them. Uh, you see pictures today, and if you look at the pictures today, you, th- you would think it was it was white on black crime. No, no, no. It was Democrat on black crime. And Lyndon Johnson saw this didn't look good for his party. And so he talked his Democrat senators into uh, voting for a watered down civil rights bill. And there's a quote printed in a book and it says, we want to do just enough so we can say we did something, but we really don't want to do anything. And, you know, and, uh, and so he, uh, did his great society welfare state and the idea is that if you can get as many minority people to sign up for welfare you'll have their vote forever and he got this idea from cloward piven they were columbia university professors richard cloward francis piven and their idea was to backdoor a country into socialism by getting people to sign up for welfare and you do a great reset where you bankrupt the economy so that people don't have enough money to live and they go to the government, they say, help, we need a welfare check. And then once people start getting welfare checks, they, they sort of like it, you know, check for a couple of thousand dollars, you know, a thousand dollars here, a thousand dollars there. I mean, um, when, why would you want to stop getting a thousand dollars in the mail? Um, and so you can pretty well guarantee that people are going to vote for your party uh, as long as your party is giving them money. This was LBJ's Great Society Welfare State, and he gets a bunch of Democrat governors on his Air Force One, and they're like, we don't want to vote for civil rights. And he says, you vote for this, you know, support this, and you, we will have the, and he used the N-word, yes. voting uh, Democrat the next 200 years. Hard, hard, hard R, N-word, a quote from a president that you can't say, I can't say on this channel. Right. And so the idea is that um, they say, well, that was the big switch. The big switch was not Republicans and Democrats switching places regarding minority issues. The big switch was Democrats switching tactics from the intimidation to entitlement. Instead of hosing them down and intimidating them, uh, you get them hooked on being dependent. You know, Tuskegee Institute did a uh, research on lynchings and they identified about 4,000 documented lynchings. There were more than that, but those were documented. And about a quarter of those over a thousand were white Republicans who were down in the South registering the blacks to vote Republicans down in the South registering blacks to vote, And about a thousand of those white Republicans got lynched. Uh, these are stories that are being overlooked. And, and then the formation of the Republican Party, I think that's fascinating. So you have March of 1854, then the Democrats have pushed through the fugitive slave law, Millard Fillmore, where if a black slave escapes and goes to the North, instead of the North just letting him go up to Canada or Wisconsin, they had to 
uh, recapture them and send them back to the South. So if you had a neighbor and you're suspecting that he's hiding these escaped slaves in his basement or barn, you had to snitch on your neighbor or you were committing a federal crime. And the people in the North didn't like that. And so there were cases where they would catch a slave and put him in jail and uh, they would have a trial. And 100% of the jury would vote to free the guy. And then they would arrest all the jury saying, um, but the Joshua Glover case is classic. He's an escaped slave, the fugitive slave law, the, they catch him. They put him in a Milwaukee jail and 5,000 white Republicans. Well, they weren't Republican yet. 5,000 white Wisconsin's storm to jail and free the black man, Joshua Glover and help him escape to Canada. Two days later, around March 20th of 1854, these same white Wisconsins go to Ripon, Wisconsin, and they form the Republican Party. And so the Republican Party had two planks in its original platform, the elimination of slavery and the elimination of polygamy. What's polygamy? Well, that was the Mormons in the West, and they could have multiple wives. And the Republican Party said, no, marriage is one man and one woman. Back then, the question was over the number. Uh, today, the question is over the sex. Uh, but the Republican Party said, no, marriage is one man and one woman, and the elimination of slavery. And so that's uh, very critical for us to understand. You know, there's um, the Civil War. And at least 200,000 white Republicans, right, people in the North died to free the slaves. And so to try to label it a black-white issue is uh, disingenuous. It's not a black-white issue. It's a Republican-Democrat issue. And LBJ did the big switch of tactics where instead of controlling the uh, black minority vote through intimidation, uh, they would control them through entitlement. You're a walking encyclopedia. It's, but it's, it's absolutely correct when you see things like uh, that bill being put forward that no one will be able to fly in the continental United States without having the vaccine, despite there being, from 1990 to 2020, the VAERS system reported with 70 vaccines over 30 years combined, they had 8,000 deaths in the last eight months, just four vaccines, we've had 13,000 deaths. I've had on Dr. Robert Malone, inventor of the mRNA vaccine technology. I've had on Dr. Peter McCall, the most cited cardiorenal physician of all time. And the reason I'm saying this is not to sidetrack, but it's when all of those are being censored, it's to me, it's always been, this isn't COVID. I don't, I don't care. It's, I have no stake. I have no stake in big pharma. I have no stake in ivermectin. I don't, I'm not making anything. If anything, I've just received nothing but hatred and censorship from it. To me, there's something much bigger than this. And it's, you see the threat and what it is, is just like LBJ with with a literal quote that I can't repeat from a sitting president that never gets brought up, you vote for these entitlement programs, you'll have hard R N-words voting Democrat for the next 200 years. It looks like there's something else to this, and it's just an acceleration of the introduction of, like you said, 
it's not, you know, it gets discredited when people say it's, oh, it's a depopulation program. We've had nukes since the 40s. If we wanted to depopulate the world, you could do it in 30 minutes. This is, you destroy small businesses and you make the people dependent on the government. You, I mean, veil your papers. You, you want to know where everyone is moving. It has nothing to do with they care about your safety when you're going to Starbucks. It's all about are you updated on this? Do you have, is your vaccine passport updated? It's controlling movements. It's nothing more than that. If you can pull out a new variant and say all, all voting has to be done mail-in, you, then you've, the entire thing is a back door to just further push this agenda. And it's this slow marching thing. I read a quote yesterday from a, a Norwegian resistance fighter who helped take down Hitler's heavy water plant in Norway. And he said in his later year, and maybe he was quoting someone, but he said, a free nation, referring to the United States, a nation on freedom is like having a glass boat in the middle of the ocean. The only thing keeping you from death is both easy to break and easy to lose. And it just feels like we're slipping towards that way. And as you said, from Plato to present, you can see all these different things. It's the moral high ground. It's divide and conquer. It's take away, it's introduce a pro, bring in a problem and introduce a solution. And it just seems like we're slipping farther and farther down that road. And I, I, I think you need to update your book to, to, to bring in, to bring in COVID passports. Well, uh, it's interesting. There are different groups that have different goals. So the Chinese, they do have global ambitions. Uh, the Democrat party hated Trump. The pharmaceutical companies, they like money, right? I mean, there's different groups, but with this, they all feel like they can, and you know, and the, and the big tech companies, you know, they get controlled and uh, you know, you have to stay in your house, you have to buy stuff online. Uh, so, uh, and then people communicate, not in person, it's online. So then they ended up getting more powerful out of it. So, so different groups for different reasons. Uh, politicians need money to run for office. Where do you get money from? Well, a lot of wealthy people. And so, uh, you know, I ran for Congress three times and uh, got a chance to experience what it's like raising a lot of money. Uh, the You and I look up to politicians, the people with uh, the money, they look down to politicians. In other words, they look them as another person they hire. Yeah. Oh, we need to get an attorney. We need to hire a lawyer. We need to hire this. That. We, uh, we need somebody to go to the Capitol and, you know, lobby us. And so they give money to a Congress, a candidate, and they expect that candidate to champion all of their issues once they get elected. Uh, they view, and so they view them as you're our employee. And if you, if you don't do it, and start saying you're going to stand up for values, well, we're going to fire you. Uh, we'll get somebody else. Um, you know, I was giving a recent presentation uh, on my book on socialism. Uh, the title is uh, Socialism, the Real History from Plato to the Present. Subtitle, How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crises to Consolidate Control. And I wanted to make it really simple. So the, the most common form of government in world history is kings. Power wants to concentrate into the hands of one person. 
like the Lord of the Rings, where Gandalf tells Frodo, always remember Frodo, the ring is trying to get back to its master. It wants to be found. And so the power wants to concentrate. And the kings go by different names. Pharaoh, Caesar, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsar. The, the name changes, but it's one person calling the shots. And um, and if you're friends with this person, you're more equal. You're not friends with this person, you're less equal. You're an enemy of Nancy Pelosi or whoever, uh, right? You're you're ostracized and and so forth. But um, so if the most common form of government is power concentrating, and then you have rare examples in history of people that were able to take the power of the king and separate it. I actually walked through it in my presentations, but the first way to limit a king was the king's own words. And we saw that in Babylon and in Persia, Cyrus, right? But it's this idea that uh, there was a king and he has a big party and he has his queen Vashti and wants her to come out and she refuses. And he in his uh, upsetness says, I'll never see her again. And then after the whole thing's over, he sort of misses her, wants to see her. And his advisor said, King, you can't see her. You said you would not see her again. You can't. And he's like, oh, great. And they, and they all say, well, I'll tell you what, let's get all the little virgins and we'll all have them visit. And of course, that's when he picked Esther. Um, and then another case is Darius uh, has Daniel as one of his, his advisors and really likes him. But the other ones don't like Daniel. So they go to Darius and they say, uh, we, we have this bill and, and, and it's um, nobody can pray to anybody but you for 30 days. And the king says, okay. And then... Right after that, they go, King, you know what you just said? Uh, yeah, well, we found Daniel praying to his God. And so you have to throw him in the lion's den because you said no one can pray to anybody else. And it says that Darius stayed up all night trying to get Daniel off the hook, and he couldn't. So he finally said, okay, Daniel, may your God preserve you, and he throws him in the lion's den. And, and, but here's a king limited by the king's own words. And then kings are limited by past king's words. So Cyrus let the Jews go back and rebuild the temple and a couple of years go by and there's a new emperor and the uh, people tell the Jews to stop and they won't. So they send a message to, to the new king and these Jews are going to rebel. And so the king says, stop. And the Jews say, well, Cyrus said we could. And so the king digs through a bunch of old records. And sure enough, in one of the palaces, he finds the record. And then he says, okay, I'm going to honor this past king's words and go ahead and rebuild. And all the past king's words collectively create tradition. And so the kings are limited by traditions. Well, this is king. This is the custom. This is a tradition. Okay, okay, I'll do it. And then kings are limited by religions. And so... Uh, even the pagan world in Egypt, the kings claimed to get their authority from, uh, they were a uh, son of Osiris and this pagan god. And, uh, and they needed the religious class to confirm that they were this divinely appointed person. And, and the king realized that he sort of needed them to affirm him. And so when they confiscated all the land, he let this religious class keep their land and uh, then the Roman emperors, they would do divination, you know, cut open their liver and look at gizzards and try to predict the future. And But there was a certain amount of uh, control that this, and then they Christianized it in Europe and called it the divine right of kings. And it was always the Pope 
that would uh, crown the kings uh, or the, the bishop. And so the bishop would be saying, okay, I'm the king, but I, I get my authority from the, and every now and then the Pope would flex his muscles and threaten to excommunicate the king, which would basically delegitimize him. And so, so kings were limited by their word, by past king's words, by customs and traditions, then limited by religion. I, I do like to say that the Judeo-Christian faith would limit the kings the most by reminding them that they were accountable to an eternal God who is the judge of all. And so they better be nice to all these underlings. Um, but uh, then the kings were limited by the barons and dukes and lords. Who were they? Well, the king collected taxes and he needed somebody to go out and collect the taxes. And the, these people doing the collecting needed to have weapons to be able to extract the taxes. And the king would basically say, look, you do my bidding, you collect the taxes, I'll let you keep a portion of it. And you can have a nice estate and a nice castle and a nice army. And, and so then these tax collector vassal lords and dukes uh, began to uh, say that uh, they wanted to limit the king. So the king, if, if somebody wasn't collecting the taxes the way he wanted, he'd just say, get rid of him, I'll get a new guy. Mm -hmm. And so in England, King John, his brother Richard the Lionheart led the Third Crusade over to the Holy Land and came back and died. But then King John took over and, and he was an arbitrary guy. He'd take people, throw them in jail, confiscate all their castles and properties. And so one day he is going to have a meeting. Some of these vassals and dukes and lords say, well, we want to have a meeting with you. And he says, okay. He comes out of his kingly castle, comes over a hill, and there's not just the 25 barons, but all of their armies, and they quickly close off his way to get back into his castle. And so now he's on the fields of Runnymede, and he can't get away, and they surround him, and they say, we got this document called the Magna Carta, and we want you to sign it, and it says that you cannot arbitrarily throw one of us in jail or take our property without due process or the other 24 of us will team up together and go after you. And what's he going to do? Uh, he, he can't get away. So he signs the thing and spends the rest of his life trying to get out from having to honor it. But that was considered the cornerstone of English law of limiting the arbitrary power of a king. And then it eventually turned into a parliament where you have the House of Lords, which were those rich guys, and then the House of Commons, which were, you know, some common leaders would get elected. But the, the common, you know, the House of Commons had Whigs, W-H-I-G-S, and they were the party that were known for being a stick in the mud, that they would um, uh, resist the king's agenda. Uh, they were sort of the opposition party, so to speak. And so they would limit the power of a king. And then America comes along. And we don't just try to limit the king. We cut the umbilical cord. And we say, we're just flat out not going to have a king. Matter of fact, we're going to flip it, and we're going to make the people the king. And, uh, and so a republic is where the people are king, ruling through representatives. And so when we pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic, we're basically pledging allegiance to us being in charge of ourselves. Anyway, so we go through this basically a 6,000 year period of trying to take power away from kings until finally America comes along and says, we're not going to have one. Um, but 
and and the American founders drew a little bit from ancient Israel, that first 400 years where they had a period without a king and then they got King Saul. America's founders looked back to Athens, which had a democracy until Alexander the Great's dad, Philip of Macedon, conquered them. America's founders looked at the Roman Republic, which didn't have a king until Julius Caesar came along and made himself dictator for life. But America's founders looked back at these experiments in the past of people ruling themselves without a king. And they basically saw that they were taking the power of the king and stretching the rubber band and putting it in the hands of the people. And it worked as long as the people had morals and virtue and so forth. Now, the next thought is, well, if the people have the power and the king wants it back, does he just go in and say, hey, can you please give me all your power back? Well, the people aren't going to really be inclined to do that. So there are two methods to take power away from the people. One is fear. Because when people get fearful, they will trade freedom for security. And the other is free stuff. You get them dependent on free stuff. And then if once they're hooked, then you can say, well, if you want some more, you got to do this, that, and the other, and you end up controlling them. I tell people it's like a drug dealer can take over a neighborhood two ways. He can come in with guns and get everybody in fear and they'll all panic and agree to surrender to the mob and pay extortion protection money whenever they come around. Or the drug dealer can give away free drugs and get everyone hooked. And then say, oh, oh, you want some more drugs? You're gonna have to sell yourself into prostitution. You're gonna have to rob from your neighbor, right? And, And so that's how kings and governments take power from people. If they can create or capitalize on an atmosphere of fear and then the people panic and they come along, we'll, we'll restore order. We just need some emergency powers, just another week, just a couple months. You know, then we'll get back, just we'll back, get back to normal, uh, you know, a year, but just a, maybe not this next year, but maybe the, you know, maybe, and they just keep dragging it out. But, and it was Mao Zedong in China that came up with the theory of the continuous revolution. So you don't just have, uh, a, a crisis and a revolution and you seize power, you, you, you keep this thing going. You keep that, you have a continuous pandemic. You keep it going, why? Because you wanna squeeze this sponge and get all the water out of it. You wanna milk this, this crisis for all it's worth because you wanna take as much power away from the people. And if they start waking up, you gotta work a little faster. You got to have a quick another variant. You got to have another try to stir up this panic and you get the the echo chamber of the mainstream media to to beat the drums. And then all these people are in fear and they're like, okay, I'll I'll surrender a little more of my freedom, a little more, a little more. And and then the others, you get people to receive free stuff. What's that all about? That's called the Great Reset. That's where you spend trillions and trillions of dollars to stimulate the economy and on infrastructure, but your goal is not to stimulate the economy and it's not to strengthen the infrastructure. Your goal is to just waste the money and have more dollars in circulation so that everybody that's on a fixed income and everybody that has savings realizes that they can't buy anything and they have to surrender to the government for help. Basic economics, if you create trillions of extra dollars, but there is the same amount of goods for sale, the price of those goods goes up. And if you're on fixed income, uh, you know, an annuity or whatever, and the 
and the stock market's not going up uh, in, in the same rate, then you're not going to be able to buy all this stuff that's become more expensive. And so what are you going to do? You're going to go to the government and say, help. And the government's going to say, okay, we'll take care of you. Now, we're going to confiscate your 401k. We're going to take all your retirement savings. But, but we promise to, to take care of you in retirement. And you won't be able to afford all your medical care. We'll do the Medicaid. In, and, but you're going to have to get a shot. Uh, and then you're going to have to get another shot. And then you're going to have to sign away a freedom here and a freedom. And you have to give up all your guns. And you're going to have to, if, if you, you want to continue to get this help, you've got to do this, that, and the other, right? And so, uh, so the idea is you get people dependent on free stuff and you intentionally bankrupt the, the, the country. So it's called the Cloward Piven strategy. And it was put in place or, you know, by Richard Cloward and Francis Piven, Columbia University professors. So, um, you know, I was going, uh, reading a book on how to catch wild pigs. And they said, you put a post in the ground and then throw out free stuff, free corn. And the pigs come and eat the corn. And the next day, you have two posts in the ground and you throw out some free stuff. And then three posts and four posts. These pig, pigs, are, they're coming every day. And they don't realize that these posts are being put in the ground in a semi-circle. And then it starts to close and these pigs, and until pretty soon all there's left is just one little opening and these pigs squeeze through the opening and they eat the free stuff. And then one day you shut the gate, it, right? The, and um, to, to, to interrupt, the, the, I believe it was the Native Americans, they had a brilliant thing where they used to, they would find like a, like a natural, not maybe like a Grand Canyon type thing, like a valley. And then they would artificially extend its its walls with with mud or logs, or and they would extend it out, you know, a thousand yards to where it just started as it just went up a couple of inches. And what they would do is they would herd entire just like stampedes of animals in there, and they would just and they would run away from the Indians who were chasing them as the wall slowly went up. And then once they had them encircled, it's just slaughter. Um, yeah. Also, I was reading about how they catch eagles. I mean, how would you catch an eagle? Well, uh, you would put a fish on a, a rock and the eagle would be really, really careful, would sort of check, check out, check out, check out. And then finally he would swoop down, grab the fish and run away. And then you'd have the next day, another fish. The eagle would look around, but not quite as long. And then next day, another fish, another fish. Until pretty soon the eagle would just land, get the fish and go. And then, you know, you put another fish out, the, the eagle would like land on the rock and he, and he sort of take his time, uh, you know, and then he'd land on the rock and he'd eat the fish right there. And, and uh, once the fish, the eagle got comfortable, then they would be hiding and they would reach up and grab the, the eagle's legs and, uh, and it couldn't get away and then they would catch it. But again, the uh, one way is you, uh, can institute socialism by coming in with tanks. Second way is you bankrupt the economy and get everybody dependent. And then once they are dependent, you can lead them along like a carrot in front of a donkey um, to surrender. So it's uh, strategies of how to take power away from the people. It's uh sorry if you, my my stomach's been gurgling. I have no idea why. I always get subconscious. It's just going, but uh, 
No, it's uh, uh, one of my one of my friends from middle school, high school, brilliant guy. And I remember him saying one night we were in high school. I think we were like just discovering alcohol. It was like our junior, senior year, right? Just, you know, drinking beer that we're not supposed to have. But I remember us having this talk about this was like 2008. And we were like, you know, where is the world going to go? How is it? How is it all going to unfold? And, you know, everyone is always aware of, you know, the, the, the never ending march towards power consolidation. And we had just finished reading two separate books that year for school. And I was like, yeah, I was like, it seems like it's going to 1984. And uh, my friend said, I think it's going to be Brave New World with 1984 as a backup. You know, we have the First Amendment and the Second Amendment's the insurance policy. Brave New World is that carrot. But you got a big old 1984 stick right behind it. Because, or as Frank Zappa said, the illusion of freedom will be... Uh, will put, continue to exist as long as it's the most efficient way. And then when it's not, the curtain, the lights will come on, the curtains will go away, the bouncers will push all the chairs to the back of the room, and you'll see nothing but a brick wall. And it's, the illusion is there. You know, here's the free heroin, here's the free heroin, until all of a sudden you take it away. And that's when the mask comes off. And it's, and you, it also cannot, cannot exist you know, what did Sheikh Guevara say? Sheikh Guevara, who was so insane, he said that we sh they should be like, they should be going fast and loose with nuclear weapons, that the Soviets actually contacted uh, Fidel Castro and told them to rein in Sheikh Guevara. He said, we cannot have a revolution with a free press. And you see that right now. What have you and I discussed this entire podcast? We've talked about socialism. We've talked about my stomach gurgling because I'm an idiot. Right, but just a couple sentences, what did we say? He said ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and I talked about the VAR system. Because of that, if this episode goes up on YouTube, I will be instantly banned. It can go up on Rumble, BitChute, Odyssey, and Spotify, but you cannot have free discussion. And the other thing is, like, uh, there's a funny meme, and it's, uh, all the doctors agree that the vaccine's safe and effective. And it's like, but what about that guy? And it shows the inventor going, I don't think you should take this. And then it goes like account suspended and it goes back to the guy and he goes, all doctors agree. It's like saying nine out of 10 doctors agree. What happened to the 10th? And then you shoot them and you go nine out of nine doctors agree. You can't have, you cannot have this onward march to global control with open discussion. And it's, I mean, man, you know, Bill Belichick, right? That guy can see plays 10 plays out and that's how he wins so many games or Tom Brady. The founding fathers, the the right to bear arms, my God, if that was not the, the farthest foresight of anyone, no matter what, the landscape will shift, like you said, different names, Sultan, Caesar, Czar, whether it's, you know, railway tycoons or whether it's big tech tycoons, or in the future, whether it's nuclear fusion and space colonization tycoons, there will always be the consolidation of power, and eventually... The, the the carrot will fall and you'll see the stick. What are we seeing in Australia right now? I mean, if that is not a, a bigger red pill on why you need to own weapons, then I don't know what is. And it seems that we are in this sort of, and you pointed it out, you know, Reagan said it, you know, I, was like, I believe that we are so great because we're, you know, we're separated by two massive oceans. You can only come down over the Arctic. 
And as you pointed out, and I believe our first podcast, that the only time they've ever taken the power from the king and given it to the people in all of history has happened here. It might not, lightning doesn't strike twice. And then this could happen. I could, you and I could go buy an island of the Caribbean and we could create, you know, the country of Federer and we could say we're a free country, but it doesn't exist in a vacuum. There's external sources and they're going to subvert you if it's in their efforts, whether it's the Chinese or the Russians or whoever. If you've got some oil or some rare earth metals, they're going to kill your little thing. The fact that the country separated by two oceans and based on power by the people is also the most powerful nation in the history of man. I mean, lightning has struck like three times and we're desperately trying to get rid of the lightning rod. And it's like, dude, it, it's a dark path. It's, you know, I know I'm ranting and now I got to let you go, but it, it kind of seems like the great filter, doesn't it? Was it in, uh, the Fermi paradox? You know, where is everyone? And, you know, one idea is that the reason we don't see any life from other stars is that there's like a there's a there's like a self-cleaning as a fighter pilot david fravor said aviation is a self-cleaning oven it seems like discovering the nuclear weapon might be a great filter which society which alien life can get through it without killing themselves we got through it in 62 cuban missile crisis knock on wood we're going to continue to get through it i wonder if every civilization out there has an america moment where the gods or the god the universe they give you one they give you one royal flush they give you a body of land separated by oceans and then one just all the stars align and you get a nation ruled for by the people and they get several lucky hands in terms of becoming powerful whether it's scientists defecting over here making sure we get the nuke but if you can't maintain it you don't get it and of closing thoughts a couple things to say real quick one I love your analogy in our second podcast where you talked about uh, self-aware like robots AI if God created this AI and you wanted to see what happens eventually it would just take the ones that were good and loved the creator as opposed to those that wanted to destroy and kill I really think about that almost every day I think that's a, a brilliant theory but two more quick things one I think you need to run for Congress for a fourth time because uh there's no point in quitting. And two, I'm going to send you an email or a text. I would love to set up another episode with you where I don't talk and I don't bring in my weird questions and we don't have a time limit. I just want to hear you. I want to see where your train, your stream of consciousness goes in like an hour or two hours. It's, I would just love to see what road that goes down. And obviously I can't stop talking your book. Socialism from Plato to the Present, How the Deep State Capitalizes on ca capitalizes on Crisis to Consolidate Control is absolutely brilliant. And I know you've got a three o'clock meeting and I've kept you. So I just get excited when you're on here, man. I love talking to you. Hey, well, you're doing a great work, you, uh, Tom. And it's an honor to be on with you and uh, look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Uh, AmericanMinute.com is my website. I sent out a, an email um, usually every day, but sometimes every other day of things that happened in history uh, that um, sort of can give an insight into what's going on today. I did a book on the history of Islam that's gaining a resurgence by what's going on in Afghanistan. Maybe we could talk about that in Absolutely. another episode. Absolutely. I had no idea. I'll grab that. I'll happily do that. 
also, very lastly, you've got to narrate your book, man. You got to put it on Audible. You have a great voice. You have a fantastic voice. You need to do it. All right. All right. I'll let you go. I know you're busy, and I'm. I just fanboy. I'm very excited. I'll email you when this episode's up. We'll set up the next episode. God bless you, Doctor Federer. Thank you so much. God bless America. All the links to his books and his websites will be in the description. Until next time, Doctor Federer, you have a wonderful evening. Recording stopped. Thank you too. Bye bye.